Welcome to The Sunshine House, a cozy corner where you can curl up and listen to chats with some of your most beloved children's book creators. My name is Zannie Louise, author of a bunch of books for kids and also completely besotted with the children's book world. I teach writing to both kids and adults and I mentor children's book writers to help them publish their own stories. Here I chat to creators about their process, getting published, maintaining a sustainable career and everything in between. If you are a writer or an illustrator, come and join us over at the Sunshine House Facebook group, a lovely happy place which is all about supporting and inspiring book creators. You can support the podcast too by leaving a rating or review on your podcast platform of choice and by sharing with your community. Today I'm chatting with Sue Whiting, award-winning author of picture books such as Good Question, A Tale Told Backwards, and middle grade novels such as The Book of Chance. We talk today about Sue's latest middle grade offering, a series for younger readers called Pearly and Pig. We chat about where the idea came from, how to create strong characters and setting, Sue's writing process, and how she balances her own writing projects with being a professional editor. Hi Sue, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you, Zanny. It's great to be here. Really nice. So I've been seeing your new book everywhere, Pearly and Pig. It looks so gorgeous. Do you want to tell us a little bit about this character and this series and where the idea came from? Oh, yes. Well, how long have we got? <laughs> I could talk about that for ages. <laughs> um, so Pearly and Pig is a story of Pearly Woe, and she is an adventurologist in training and an expert warrior. So she worries about everything and anything, and she worries most of all that her worries will mean that she'll never be an adventurologist. <laughs> and um, adventurologists are this group of top secret stealth adventurers that travel the world and go on these amazing adventures, but they do so quietly without trying to disrupt the environment or make a big noise about what they're doing. And all her family are adventurologists and her grandfather you know, set up the, the guild the Adventurologist Guild. And so she desperately wants to be one too. But of course, her worries hold her back. And so that's um, her biggest hurdle to overcome. So this is the first adventure, um, Pearling Pig and the Great Hairy Beast. And in this adventure, Pearly uh, really has to stand up and put her worries um, away somehow or other, because her parents are missing. Her pig, who is her partner in adventure, of course, who who else would you have to go to adventure pig? <laughs> Of and um, it has been kidnapped and <laughs> Pearly finds herself a stowaway on an icebreaker ship on the way to Antarctica and the mission on that for that uh, that group going to Antarctica is to find the great hairy beast. So Pearly has a lot to contend with. Yes. <laughs> She sure does. She sounds such a gorgeous character. And I love this uh, invention of yours, the adventurologist. What a fantastic guild to create. Yeah. Why, why doesn't this exist already? I can't believe it. Well, it was funny because when I came, when I don't remember the exact moment that I, the word came into my mind, I went, adventurologist. Oh, I love that word. And I Googled it and it's not really, it's not a word. So I thought, yeah, an adventurologist that's that's what I think I'd like to be. But I'm a bit like Pearly, I think I'm a bit of a chicken. <laughs> a little bit timid. Well, you do have to give your characters a lot to work against. So obviously making her a bit timid is an excellent starting point if your whole family are adventurologists. <laughs> Absolutely. She's got and she desperately wants to be one. And of course she's she has a lot of courage. 
because she still has to act and does act despite her worries and fears and her blown up thoughts you know shows that she has true courage so yeah, yeah great fun, um, it was really fun to write yeah you, you can sense that in the way you're talking about it just sounds really fun <laughs> is this your first experience writing a series Yes, it is really. I have written um, one little book that I did do a sequel for, like a little chapter book. And to be honest, Sani, I've never really thought about, I mean, no, that's not true. I have thought about writing a series because it seems like the thing to do when you're a children's author. But um, I've never really, uh, I'm not really a series reader. You know, I don't read a lot of series myself. You know, has some people love to read a series. I've got a couple of crime, adult crime writers. I might follow and, and follow a detective for a while. But Mostly I read and write one-offs. So this was meant to be a one-off. It sort of morphed into a series. But even as I was creating it, I felt like I had put in the bones, you know, like the Adventurologist Guild and, and all the setup in this as, you know, I've, I've edited a lot of series. I'm thinking this has the legs to be able to sustain further adventures. So mm. I've just finished the second book. So that was that was really challenging because... Um, you know, I thought, oh, this will be easy. I know the characters now. I'll just off I'll go. But it was a lot harder than I expected. But it's just about to be typeset and I'm just researching the third. And there may not be any more than that. I don't know. We'll just see how it goes. But I'm very excited to follow Pearly through at least three adventures all over the world and um, do extraordinary things despite her fears. <laughs> <laughs> three feels like a good number, although more is also good. It's <laughs> a good start. I'm not, you know, I'm not getting ahead of myself. I'm really pleased I've got the, the three. And I have to, you know, I haven't written the third yet, so you know what it's like. It's, it's just there simmering away and I'm gathering all my research and information and ideas and, and seeing if they all, if they're going to come together and fly. So, it's at that stage where it's exciting and thrilling, but also, you know, you've got a long road ahead before you get to the end. Of course. So what made it challenging, this uh, second book? That's a really good question. I think that I suppose it was inexperienced in writing a series in some ways, even though I knew a lot about it because I had edited it. But when you're actually on the other side, I think one of the things for me was that in this adventure, mainly Pearly and Pig and then all the, the bad guys and the the rest of the Woe family, I really only make cameo appearances. So even though I knew about them enough to make, you know, how they fit into the family, I hadn't really developed them as characters. And in this, this second one, the whole Woe family go on this adventure to the jungles in Asia. And it's an area that I have actually done some of the things that um, <laughs> Pearlie and her family do. So I had that. I haven't been to Antarctica, but I have been to the Asian jungles. So I thought this is going to be easy. But then I, once I started to write, I realised I did not know those characters, mm. not enough, so the, the, the rest of the family, you know, to put oxygen in their veins and to make them as, as characters, as people. So I had to take a step back and go back and think a lot more than I realised. And then once I sort of got them sorted out, my next hurdle was that, you know, just talking about the book, it's kind of quirky and odd, incredulous, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> you know, putting a girl and a pig in Antarctica. And so there was lots of things that I loved about this book that were really quirky and unexpected. And so even though I, as I was thinking of the idea for the second book, I knew it was adventurous and, that, you know, it had um, pearly developed as a character and all that kind of things and the, the family dynamics. But I then I had to go searching for the quirk so that delivered mm -hmm. in that way as well. So there were a couple of things that I thought, oh, now I've done it, you know, I've done it this way in this book, I'm going to have to try to 
you know, find another way to do to get the same kind of feel and tone. And so that was that was tricky. Hopefully I've done it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, knowing you, you have nailed it. Yeah, that's interesting. When I write a series, I tend to have to write a bit of a skeleton each time to try and get that consistency of structure. And I know as a professional editor, structure is in your bones, literally. I love um, structure. <laughs> yeah, you love structure. But is it is it as intentional for you as um, as it is for me where you actually sit down and plot it out first or is it a bit more of an organic process? I think I'm somewhere in between. I, and I think the longer I write and the more I write, the more of a plotter I become. And I'm not sure why but I think that I liked so for instance I'm at the beginning of the third book and so I'm spending a lot of time researching so I think before I start to write what I I will have a very slim skeleton like I'll know I know the setting the setting is really important I'll know the general um, premise of the book I'll have a pretty good idea of how I want it to end and that's how I want it to end emotionally for Pearly, you know, what she's going to get out of this particular adventure and also the exciting adventure, you know, end, conclusion. And I'll know some really key points along the way, but I don't know, I won't know everything. And then I'll sort of see see where they go. But I, I probably, I think a skeleton is probably the best way to put it. I don't do a great big outline and I don't think I get a bit bored doing that. I just want to get mm-hmm. going and, and writing once I know enough of those, the characters and know where I'm heading Mm. I need to plot my character into that situation and see what happens but trying to make those points that are important but also being willing to deviate if something better comes up yeah no that's the perfect (laughs) arrangement I think I write a similar way but you mentioned sort of that that strong character want and that strong that transformation and those are obviously all critical elements which you're laying down before entering the world yeah And I think that's really important in any any book is to really know what your character wants and needs. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what's going to drive your character's actions and reactions. So if you've got a really strong sense of that character, and Pearly in, in one sense is easy because I've set up this character who you know catastrophizes. Mm-hmm. She always thinks the worst and she thinks you know the most outrageous things. And so that you can have some fun with that, and you've got that as sort of the core of her but at the same time it can become very repetitive so she has to change and grow and see her you know see things differently and that's the fun part trying to make her still true to those worries but also to make her you know to grow and change and to see things a little bit differently as she goes along. How uh, different is that editing process when you're editing other people's work than it is editing your own? Do you have a completely different hat that you wear or are you using similar sort of techniques? I think um, that's a really good question. So it is a different hat. I can tell you right now it's a lot easier to edit. <laughs> like to edit someone else's work than to, to write your own or to reply to someone else's editorial notes. I think when you're an editor and writer, you, you do have that editor hat on all the time and that sometimes is a curse because you need to you know to take that hat off and just get the ideas down and I think I'm getting better at that I think that's why I'm often I think actually having to write a series and having you know deadlines and having to get things done you know it's not super fast but it is for me um it means I have to you know I can't dilly dally and overthink things um but when it comes to I suppose there's some things that I will always be looking for in the manuscripts I edit, like the character drive and, um, you know, making sure that each chapter progresses the plot and we don't, you know, that it's focused and there is a, 
you know, the, the structural bones that you're talking about. I think that I'm very aware of those things as I'm writing. So that probably comes into, you know, when I'm writing, I, I'm thinking like an editor in that way. I don't know if I've answered your question, but we did no. talk about editing and writing. <laughs> you sure have. Um, and what about, because you write picture books, you write, so the, and this Pearly and Pig is a younger middle grade for yes. what, what would you say, like six plus, seven plus? I think it's more like seven or eight plus, yeah. but it's sort of, it's, it's very primary school. So, yep. you know, grade three, it'll be kids in grade six, I think, that would read it too, but it's really good grade four. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think we need more there. Um, mm. And and you also write older middle grade, um, particularly that upper end of middle grade. Is that process different each time when you sit down and attempt one of these new projects, you know, if it's for a different age group? Yeah, I think you, every project's different really because mm. every book's different and I think it's just been mindful of the content and what's going to interest that particular reader. You know, so someone who's 12 or 13 is going to have very different uh, interests and wanting or want different things out of a book than someone who's eight or nine. And so I haven't actually written for that 10 or eight or nine age group for a long time. And that's why uh, this book was sort of sitting in my bottom drawer for a long time as a, a oh, I'm never going to get this up <laughs> kind of project. It was sort of a little bit, just sort of I'd fiddle around with it and mess with it and be disappointed with it and not get very far for a long time. But I wanted to write something but for that space because I, you know, when I go visit schools, I'll have picture books and I'll have that upper um, middle grade, as you said, but I had nothing really to offer the kids in you know, grade three and four. So I went out of my way to write for that age group and I found it harder than I do for, say, the 10 plus I, maybe I'm that's my my inner age that's sort of about 12 mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I can I the books that I write for that age group require a certain amount of emotional maturity I suppose that you know mm-hmm. they're quite sad sometimes they're um, confronting in terms of you know I'm exploring themes that are a bit grittier than say in Pearling Pig and, and Younger Fiction and I think I'm really comfortable there but having to channel my younger self and um, and to steer away from those themes, I have to really think a bit. You know, sometimes I think I get a little bit, I go a little bit too far <laughs> to pass yeah. back and remember that these kids are quite young and that might be quite, <laughs> you know, scary or sad or above them, you know, where they're ready, their maturity. I do like that in your older middle grades that you don't uh patronize the reader in any way like you're happy to serve them up pretty complex stuff and these characters are definitely very laid very complex all the adult characters and the kid characters and I remember being a reader of that age and really seeking out those kind of books because there weren't actually that many of them. No, it's an interesting um, thing I sort of fell into that by accident when I write Missing I didn't um, didn't realize what I was doing but I do like that space and I've had that feedback and I think there's I think there's more coming into that age group now. Yeah. I think it had a bit of a, a lull for a little while. There wasn't too much coming in there. There seemed to be a lot of that upper middle grade um, being published at the moment, which is good because the kids do need, they're still readers and we need to keep them. Yeah. Um, and they're not quite ready for young adults. Like I've, I have dabbled with young, what I'd call true young adult, but I, I discovered that, you know, I don't really want to be a young adult writer. Yeah. Um, I do like that that middle grade and I do like kids this age I think kids you know that in years three and four um and two three four are just absolutely delightful that yeah you just feed off their, their they just love story 
Oh, definitely. And they're going to love this adventurologist <laughs> world. <laughs> this setting, because you mentioned how important setting is, but uh, that you haven't been to Antarctica. So do you do a, some research on that? Or are you just drawing from, you know, common mythology about Antarctica? Oh, no, like mountains of research. <laughs> and the story behind where this came from originally is that for many, many, many years, like more than 10, probably 12 at least, I've been telling this story when I go to schools about my trip to Antarctica, <laughs> which, I, of course, I've never been to Antarctica. And so in order to, and that's the point of the story, so that the kids, um, I'm, I'm demonstrating how you can make a story seem authentic and true and believable and gripping and all those kinds of things. And so, you know, it's, it's that big gag at the end, just pulling your leg. And so when I've told that story, Kids have always said, oh, Sue, you've got to write that in the book. You know, what happened next? And I go, well, nothing happened next. That's the end. I don't know what happened next. And so that's, you know, I've just sort of kept that in the back of my mind. But in order to tell that story all those years, so I've had like 10 years of research of Antarctica and I've been to um, the Antarctic Museum in Christchurch. There was one in Hobart. You know, I've watched lots of stuff on, on um, you know, TV and, and on the computer and, you know, so enormous amount of research that sort of built up over 10 years to the point when I had a friend who went to Antarctica, I started to tell her about when I went to Antarctica. <laughs> and I, went, Actually, I haven't been to Antarctica, <laughs> just imagination, just a slight slip for a minute. Um, so, yes, enormous amounts of um, research. The same with missing because I set that in Panama, part of it, and I had never been to Panama and it was a year of research and um, some lucky breaks to meet some people who actually lived in the town that I wanted um, to write about to make that come to life so it's these are the challenges we set ourselves sometimes <laughs> as a writer absolutely well I love that you're setting these challenges because um, you have another middle grade book coming out later in the year in September called Tilda which age group is this one for this is for upper middle grade as well so it's for 10 plus it's not the same as Missing and and um, and the Book of Chance in that it's not contemporary. It is set in 1901 in an orphanage in Adelaide, but it has, I think, that you'll need the same kind of emotional maturity. So it's inspired actually by my grandmother's story. And the irony of it is that I don't know my grandmother's story and that's why I've sort of made up a story for her. But in doing a lot of family research in recent, sort of in the last decade or so, found some amazing stories about all my family, but couldn't really get to the bottom of my grandmother's story, who I, ne I never met her. But she was, her mother died when she was two, and her father, she had a baby brother who was adopted by her father's family in New Zealand. And I don't know what happened. He went off to the Boer War, and then after the Boer War, went and had a, um, another life and abandoned her. And so I don't really know what happened to her from when she was two. Not really. I've got clues I've got a theory um, until she married my grandfather when she was 18 except for the fact that she was uh, for a number of years in a, a Catholic orphanage in Melbourne mm. and so this was my story so I was seeking out what might have been like for her you know in that time and you know to have a father head off to the Boer War and not come back because he started a new life not because you know, of any other reason and uh, what it'd be like to be in one of those kind of institutions without it being, you know, it's it's probably a sanitised, or it is a sanitised version of, of those institutions because some terrible, terrible things happened. I mean, Tilda suffers at, in Brushwood Convent and Home for Girls. 
which is of my invention, but not to the extent that, you know, that many girls and, and boys did in, in those institutions. So, yes, it does require some emotional maturity as well and a box of tissues just saying (laughs) (laughs) um so the brushwood is that based on uh accumulation of research into different orphanages of that period yeah Yeah. my grandmother actually went to um abbotsford in um, melbourne and i did visit there a number of times but it's such a big well-known institution i didn't want it to be about the institution i wanted it to be about this girl tilda and you know her emotional journey, I, I suppose, that when they they came from New Zealand and and they went to Adelaide, my grandmother, great grandmother, died in Adelaide when she was two, so I decided to set it in Adelaide um, because that's where her story actually started. When I I was very lucky to get in 2019 a May Gibbs Creative Fellowship in Adelaide on this story on on that's what I pitched, and so I spent a month in Adelaide researching Adelaide and in 1901 as well as the institutions and I got to go to a number that were now not orphanage there were other places but got to have tours and go through them and hear some of the stories so I did amalgamation of a number of those kind of institutions but there was one in particular called Goodwood in Unley and, or, and Goodwood in Adelaide which is notorious for some of the things that happened in the 50s particularly with the young girls and boys coming from England and so I was very privileged to spend quite a day there with um, someone going on a tour and telling me all the stories and going into all the rooms where the bathroom was and the, where the you know where they had their dormitories and where they were punished and so forth so I'd say if there was one in particular it is that's the one that I drew most strongly from yeah so I was very mm-hmm. lucky to have that opportunity. Mm, absolutely. Well, it's uh, refreshing to hear not all your research is just on a computer. I know lots of oh, no, no. <laughs> on the internet. You're actually physically going in and absorbing these places. Yes, if you I, if you get the opportunity, it's always so much better. Just mm-hmm. haven't had the opportunity or the funds <laughs> to go to Antarctica <laughs> or Panama for that matter. <laughs> Yeah, I know uh, my late friend Jessie Blackadder, she did it several trips to Antarctica yes. and she had some amazing stories. So Yeah, it'd be, it'd be fabulous. I'm still up for it if ever the opportunity um, <laughs> comes. But I have to say, in some ways, I felt like I've been there, which is really kind of odd. Um, yeah. And I think if I went to Boquete in, in Panama, it would feel very familiar as well when you've spent so much time um, remotely, you know, watching this, this, um, you know, learning about this particular town, you do feel quite connected to it. So it'd be really quite an odd experience, I think. Mm, it really would be interesting. You seem to have so many things that you do, Sue, you're a professional editor and write picture books, middle grade. Um, how do you organise your day? Do you have to uh, compartmentalise or how, how does this all work for you? Just you so know. happens. I didn't know you were going to ask me this question. I'll put it up really quickly because I don't want to see what it says. Um, but I, I write myself a list. But often I feel like I'm being stretched in too many ways. And I find that, um, so I'm always finding, I'm doing this right at the moment, actually. I go, get to this point where I think, oh, I've done it again. I'm mm-hmm. you know, being pulled in too many directions. I've got to, you know, divest of a few things. And so I start to um, get rid of um, some of the things I, I, I get involved with so that I can concentrate on the things that are 
most important because I often find because I do, you know, work as an editor and I do school visits, which I absolutely love and, and lots of other things that I'm involved in, that often the thing that gets pushed apart, I don't know if you find this too, that gets pushed to the, the bottom is your writing. <laughs> and um, and that's, you know, it should be the other way around. Yeah. And so every now and again I have to give myself a big shake and say, no, this is more important. And And so I do try to sort of chip away when I've got other things on, but I do um, then try to, to get a nice block saying this is this is this is my time where I'm going to work on this book, and other things will be just you know things that I can't not do. Yeah, um, I'll do, but you know I will push those aside. So when I the second book for Pearly, I basically wrote. Um, I'd done a lot of research, a lot of background. I did all that you know worrying about the things I was saying I was worrying about. I did that. Um, during last year mm-hmm. and then from the 1st of December because I had family living with me up until till then which was lovely but they moved out and then we had a really as you know very wet summer <laughs> <laughs> not as wet as yours but very no. wet yes. um, but we had a very wet and terrible summer and I basically every day for the next three months till the whole summer you know that was my time to yeah. write the second book and I'll be doing something similar I think in, towards the end of this year I'm pretty booked up until about end of October and then I think that's it too bad (laughs) it's going to be written yeah I I think I've discovered the same thing uh in recent years because I do the same like I just keep saying yes to things keep getting distracted pulled into so many different things and also oh hang on I haven't written a word this week but it it doesn't help your story and I also I need to go into a bit of a cocoon and just sort of absorb it and focus on that so I think I'm in that space these next couple of months um, before book week yeah well great tips Sue and just so interesting to hear about your new books Uh, both very exciting can't wait to read it I know my younger daughter who's nine will absolutely devour Pearly and Pigs so we're very excited that's nice to hear (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's really lovely. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Sue. Lovely. Oh, to- thank you, Zanny. It's been lovely to chat. Thanks for listening to the Sunshine House podcast. This podcast is produced by Jen Pitch and the music is produced by Gregor Hutchka and Brett Canning. Join us over at the Facebook group by searching for Sunshine House Writers and Creatives. This is a happy and supportive place to come and hang out if you're a children's book creator. I also run courses for creatives. Find out more by visiting my website, zannylouise.com. If you enjoyed this podcast episode, please follow, share with your friends and leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice as this will help other people find us. Have a lovely, sunshiny day.